Well, good evening and welcome to Good Friday service here at Shepherd's Gate Church. One of the most important weeks in the life of the church and for those who follow Jesus as we examine the price that was paid for us and what it is that our God, our loving and gracious God, did through his son, Jesus, so that you and I could experience forgiveness and so that you and I could experience freedom. And this year at Shepherd's Gate, we have been looking at different characteristics and aspects of all that Jesus went through that final week that he was on earth. And we've called this series Worth It. And it started on Palm Sunday when we asked ourselves, Jesus, was it worth the risk? Was it worth it when you got on the donkey and you went straight toward the walls of Jerusalem and into the city and you also not only the risk that you took, but the risk that you put the disciples, the risk that you had them take along with you. Well, last night as we gathered, and whether you were here in person or maybe you were joining us online, as some of you are joining us online right now, for Monday, Thursday, as we looked at the humility of our God, that he was willing to get down on the ground and to do something that they never thought he would ever do, but wash the disciples' feet. And tonight as we've gathered, even as we've seen these images, and now as they're in the forefront of our minds, tonight we're going to work, look at this whole idea of pain. Jesus, was it worth the pain? God the Father, was it worth the pain that you put your son Jesus through? And so I want to start tonight by asking you how you would define pain. How would you describe pain? Would you instantly go to physical pain that maybe you experience? Maybe some of you, you've had something happen to your life, and so you do, you deal with a lot of physical pain. Maybe something happened in the past, or you've been through multiple surgeries, or you're getting to an age and a stage where your body is just reminding you that there's just a lot of pain. Maybe for you it isn't physical pain. Maybe there's mental and emotional pain. Maybe there's burdens and sorrows that you're carrying and you've been carrying them for a long time and you haven't quite figured out how to hand them over to Jesus and you're still grappling with them and you're still trying to figure out how to navigate the world but you know that you're almost kind of prisoner in your own mind or you feel so alone and afraid because your emotions seem to be dictating your life. Tonight as we look at scripture, as we look to what God says, I think We're all going to walk away with something tonight. I believe that you're here for a purpose. I believe that God has something to speak to you and for those of you that are watching online. Here's what I know about all of us. We're all flesh and blood. We're human beings. And the moment we were born, the moment we were brought into this world, a time clock was started, wasn't it? And And a clock started ticking toward the day of our death, that all of our days are actually numbered. All of us in this room, think about this right now, we're all sitting here, you're sitting, I'm standing, we're all decaying. You're dying right now. Kids in this room, I know it's hard to believe, you're dying right now. Your parents are dying right now. That's the result of being flesh and blood. In fact, so often sometimes we forget that that we are flesh and blood until something traumatic happens in our lives. 
And we have to pinch ourselves and remind us that we're flesh and blood. So you know what I want you to do tonight? And if you're watching online, do this as well. Go ahead and pinch yourself. Make sure that you're still here. And then do this next. Pick, pinch your neighbor. This is even more fun. And make sure that they're still alive and breathing and not falling asleep on me. And what's so interesting is when we finally admit, yes, things can happen and accidents happen. And some of you, you have scars and stitches and battle wounds and all sorts of stories that you can tell. This is what scripture says as well in Ephesians. It says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a battle that is so much bigger than our bodies understand. There's a battle that is taking place for our very souls. And there is a battle that is taking place here on earth with all of the intricacies and all of the complex things going on and all of the hardships and evil. And yes, the devil is active and he is alive and he is trying to destroy you and your family. But there's also a battle that takes place in the heavenly realm. There is a battle going on that we cannot see. There's a spiritual realm that we don't always understand and we don't always talk about maybe we should talk about it more but there is a battle taking place we need to be aware of that and what's so interesting is when we go to the scriptures when we go to the four gospel writers the first four books of the new testament matthew mark luke and john all of their writings all culminate the purpose of their writings is to get us to good friday and to easter and the and the resurrection but in all four of those, they don't actually, if you read the text, they don't give you a lot of detail as far as the physical brutality of what Jesus went through when you get to Golgotha, when you get to the place of the, of, of the skull, which is where he was crucified. In fact, you'll actually find in Isaiah 53, which was written 600 years before Jesus walked the earth, that there's more information, there's actually more detailed included in Isaiah 53, because you've got to understand this. This was prophesied. God prophesied through Isaiah that Jesus would go through what he went through, and he went through a whole lot more than just the physical brutality that so often we see in the movies and the TV shows or even what we showed tonight. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to walk through Isaiah chapter 53. Some of it may sound familiar to you. If you're new to faith, then this is going to be brand new to you, which is great. And we're going to go back and forth between Isaiah and the gospel writers. And I know, I just believe that he has a word for all of you here tonight. So let's begin in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. It says this, He was despised and rejected by men. I want you to think about this. Everywhere he went, every group that he talked to, even as he's performing miracles, even as he's raising people from the dead, even as he's healing the sick and ministering to the needs of people in, in the communities where he went, where God told him to go, God the Father told him to go, he was always met with opposition. There was always somebody trying to destroy him. There was always somebody rejecting his teachings. He never ever had a, an opportunity where there was 100% participation or 100% conversion rate of anything that he did. In fact, his ministry started when he was 30 years old and he happened to be in his own hometown of Nazareth. That's where he was raised. 
as a little child, and he's, here he is 30, and he goes into the temple where he knows everybody in this temple, and he pulls out the scroll, which was often read in the temple, and it just happened to be the scroll of Isaiah. And he reads the passage of Scripture of talking about the coming Messiah. And he tells the people there, hey, I'm him. God sent me. I am the Savior. I am the Messiah, the promised Messiah. And when he was done reading it, he put it back. And wouldn't you know that everybody from his hometown got all upset with him and chased him out of the temple. They chased him up a hill, and they actually tried to kill him on his first day of his ministry, right after his first sermon, all throughout his life, met with opposition. But look at what it says here. Not only were they after his physical body and wanted to remove him from the earth, it says he's a man of sorrows, and he's acquainted with grief. These are emotions. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. This is how Mark puts it. And this is Jesus in the garden with his disciples. It says this, my what? Not his body. His soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Some of you know what this feels like. Some of you, you may have been in circumstances where you have gone through intense emotional pain and suffering. Some of you tonight, you may still be dealing with intense emotional pain. Listen to me. Jesus knows what that feels like. He experienced that. He understands what you're going through. And it says that his was so overwhelming, it was even to the point of death. And I bet there's some in here that you would say that. You know that. You resonate with Jesus in this passage. And he tells his disciples, stay here and to keep watch. Well, look at what it says next in Isaiah. It says, surely he has bore our griefs and he's carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. What is it that's going to be placed on Jesus on the cross? It's our griefs, and it's our sorrows. And this is going right at the heart of our feelings and our mental state. When we're depressed, when we doubt, when we get angry, when we have attitudes, when we do things that we should not do, these aren't sins that are the sins that we go and physically do, or maybe the words that we say. This involves all of those other sins that so often we forget to confess, these other sins that we so often forget to talk about. Jesus took these on himself as well. He bore our griefs and our sorrows. First Peter put it this way, he himself bore our sins, look, look at what it says, in his body. Our sins, all of them, not just a few of them, every sin that you and I have committed, every sin that we will ever commit, think about this, it's already been paid for. He's already taken the punishment for those things. Here's the part that some of you might be familiar with. Isaiah says this in verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. How is Jesus pierced? The Gospels don't tell us, but guess what? Psalms does. It says, they pierced my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And the reason it says this is because we know how cruel and awful the Roman system was. 
They, they would strip a person of all their dignity. And so even as we see movies, we always see somebody covered up, but they would actually be completely exposed, utterly naked, your entire body, even your bones on display for people to stare at you and to mock you. Think of the level of humility that Jesus went through for you and for me. We also know from John's Gospel that one of the soldiers took his sword and he pierced Jesus in his side. And out of Jesus came blood and water. And the reason they did this was they were trying to hurry up his execution. They wanted to get him off of the planet. They wanted him dead and gone because they had festivities to get to and there was certain protocols. And so what they would do normally is break the legs of the people being crucified, but they decided to go this route instead. And again, this was a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy that his legs would not be broken. But not only was he pierced for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The things that we have done, the sins that we have caused. In this next passage of scripture, I'm going to read it slowly on purpose. It's from Matthew's gospel. And again, as I read this, I want you to not only think of the physical torment and pain that Jesus went to, I want you to think about the, the mental and emotional anguish that, that these moments on his final day on earth and what he experienced. This is what it says in Matthew 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium. They gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him. They put a scarlet robe on him. And they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. And they took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off their robe and put his own clothes on him. Just imagine for a moment. You're getting beaten up. You're getting ganged on. It's you and all of these huge trained soldiers, these large men. And not only are they physically brutally beating your body to a pulp, they're also saying the most awful, heinous things that you could ever hear. And here you are, you're fully God. You can hear what they're saying. You know their hearts. You know their stories. You know when they were born. They're actually created in your image, and yet they're doing this to you, and it's almost entertaining. It's almost fun for them to torture somebody in this way. I want you to see how Isaiah describes this moment. It's the chapter before 53. It's found in actually Isaiah 52. He put it this way. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. Make no mistake. They did not take it easy on Jesus. 
His body was so bloodied and so bruised. His body took an unbelievable amount of pain and suffering for you and for me. To think that they put that cross upon his shoulder and made him march it out of the walls of Jerusalem, out of the city gates to the place of the skull. And that's where they led him to be crucified. Matthew tells us that from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama shapanani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is one of those passages that so often cause us to pause and to reflect and say, God, what's going on here? Why is God crying out in a loud voice? Why is your son saying these things? Why is he switching to his native language? Why is he even crying out to you? God, where did you go? Have you left God? Some of you, you might be familiar with this passage. And you might think this is the moment that God the Father actually did indeed leave Jesus. There was a song that came out about 12 years ago and Part of the lyrics of the song was that God the Father turned his face away. And as I began to dig into this more, and I remember hearing this kind of concept that that God in this moment left Jesus, I actually began to dig further into Scripture and found out that there's no Scripture that actually backs that up. There's no Scripture that said God went anywhere in this moment. In fact, I would actually argue the opposite. God never took his eyes off of his son, Jesus. And he's crying these words out because he's actually quoting Psalm 22. And again, he's fulfilling a prophecy. And the reason he kicks into his native language is because he was speaking to the Jewish audience that had been with him. And he was reminding them of Psalm 22, which was often sung at their events and when they would gather for worship. And so anybody that was from a Jewish custom would know what Jesus is doing in this moment. See, I would submit to you that God never turned his face away from Jesus God never left him. And the more you dig into it, you think, that you think to yourself, wait, there, all throughout Scripture, God never left Jesus. When Jesus was in the desert and, and uh, he was being tempted by the devil and he was fasting, God was there with him. All throughout his earthly ministry, when there were times when the disciples would get really annoying. Did you know they could get annoying? And there were times when the crowds would get overwhelming. He would go off and he would be with his father by himself. He'd get up early in the morning and sometimes he would stay up late at night just so that he could be recharged and re-energized with the relationship that he had with the father. Even in the garden, as he told the disciples, you guys stay here and the three of you, you come a little bit further and you stay here and don't fall asleep. Even though I know you're going to fall asleep, don't fall asleep. And he went a little bit further and it was him and God in the garden. Jesus was not alone in the garden. Jesus wasn't alone when they all ran in different directions that night, and it was just him and the Jewish uh, soldiers that had first taken him captive. In fact, Jesus was never alone. Jesus is God. Jesus has always had God with him. And I think sometimes when we go down this road and we think that somehow God turned his head away or that God wasn't there for them, what happens is we begin to believe that God can turn his head away from us. That God is so disgusted by our sin that he can't even look at us. And so there's this head turning. And so you begin to believe this lie that my sin is too big for God. 
Tim, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand the sin that I committed in the past. Tim, you don't know the sin that I'm battling right now in my life. This is so disgusting, so awful. I'd be so embarrassed to tell you. I'd be so embarrassed to tell anybody else at this church, anybody in my family or friendship group. And can I just tell you tonight, God sees you. God knows you. The scripture says that God knows you by name. That he knows the thoughts in your head before you think them. He knows the words before you speak them. He knows the sins that you're going to commit before you commit them. And you might be saying, man, that is way too intimidating. That's way too overwhelming. I can't imagine God knowing every little tiny secret of my life. Guess what? That's true. In Hebrews, it says that everything in all creation is laid bare before God. There is nothing that God doesn't know about. If God couldn't look at sin, then he would have never have gone back to the garden and found man and woman hiding in the cool of the day and addressed them and showed them love and grace and mercy. God sees you. He sees your sin. He sees all of your sin, and he still is madly in love with you. He still wants a relationship with you. He still wants to restore you. He wants to take every aspect of your life that separates you from him, and he wants you to give that to him and watch what it is that he can do in your life, you are more loved and valued by God than you even realize. All of it, all of your sin. And I know this last year has been tough. This last year has been awful. And you might even be dealing with something that's new. Maybe it's an old addiction that's flared back up. Maybe it's something that, that you just started doing and you said to yourself, I never thought I would ever be in this situation. Hear me tonight. God is speaking to you. God wants you to lay that at his feet. Invite him into your life. Invite him into the situation, no matter how awful or how sinful you think it is. Because the price that he paid on the cross far exceeds anything there is not a sin that you could commit that has not already been committed on this planet. Do you realize that? God has been dealing with mankind for a very long time, hasn't he? For a very long time. And so if you ask me in this moment, I believe the most painful moment, the reason that he cries out these words is not because God the Father has left him, because at that moment he realized the magnitude of what it felt to have sin in his life and that included guilt and shame and depression and all of the insecurities and all of the other things that you and I deal with on this earth. And I'll also show you why God the Father didn't turn his face away because it says this in Luke that Jesus said, Father, still talking to God, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last the very last breath in community with his father. Here's what I have to tell you today from Isaiah. It says he not only poured out his body, but he poured out his soul to death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. These are these parts of our God that are just sometimes so hard to understand. God, how in the world, with everything that you endured, on that Friday, were you still able to interact with so many people? 
the way that you paused and you, and you interacted with Pilate and you reminded Pilate that the only reason he had the authority that he had was because it came from your father. How in the world, when you're hanging from the cross, do you have the, the, the strength to talk to these two thieves, one of which is going, actually going to come into your kingdom and become a follower of yours in the final moments of his life? God, how do you have enough strength that when you're hanging on the cross, you look down at your disciple John and you say, John, you make sure that you take care of my mom. How even in that moment are you so full of grace and mercy as you're hanging literally with the last breath that you're able to say, God, forgive them. Heavenly Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. They don't realize the magnitude of this moment. That's how much grace and mercy and love our God has for us. He will never leave you. He will never stop pursuing you. He will never stop through the Holy Spirit bringing you to the foot of this cross and reminding you that you are his child and he knows your name and he wants to do something so extraordinary in your life, something that this world can't offer us. And again, if there's something this last year I hope has taught us is that this world is not what it's all cracked up to be, is it, folks? You can pursue all the things that you think are going to make you happy. But there's no peace. There's no joy. There's none of that without God in our lives. So listen to this promise from our God as well. Deuteronomy 31. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He never left Jesus. He is never going to leave you. You can run, but you can't hide. You can try to hide your sin. He sees it. He loves you that much, and he will never stop working in your life. And I want you to see what it even says. Prophesied so long before even Jesus walked the earth in Isaiah. It says, as we know, the chastisement was upon him, but upon him that chastisement actually brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed you and i are healed and again this isn't just a physical healing and of course we pray for those that we know that are going through physical ailments we pray for people going in for surgeries we pray for people that are that are battling cancer and whatever the case may be and we believe that god can heal people but we also believe in the healing of our souls. The greatest healing that you will ever receive this side of heaven is a relationship with Jesus and God taking your sin out of your life and extend, ex accept, or, um, instead extending his grace and mercy into your heart and into your life. So this is, what I want to think, this is what I want you to think about tonight. I want you to think about this. Knowing everything that we have talked about tonight, what burdens are you still carrying to this day? I believe some of you, you, you're still feeling unforgiven. You still have some things from the past that you haven't let go of. There are still some doubts and some fears and some shame, and God wants you to hear this tonight. Tonight is the night no more. You are going to leave guilt-free, and you are going to leave without any shame I am your God and that I have paid the price for those sins and I will, I will separate them as far as the east is from the west. 
And maybe you're here tonight and you are battling sin. You're battling something right now and it's something that is ready to overwhelm you and it's going to destroy your marriage. It's going to destroy your family. It's going to destroy your business. It's going to destroy your friendship. You've got to get honest with God tonight. Stop playing games with the creator of the universe, the one who knows everything about you. Get right with God tonight. Invite him into the situation. And as you do that, watch as he takes his loving arms and he wraps them around you and he weeps with you. But in that same moment, he floods you with his grace and his mercy and his peace as we've read about tonight. God loves you. God orchestrated all of the events of Holy Week. I mean, just look at it. He's the one that told him where to go and to get the donkey. He's the one that, that put all of the plans together for Monday, Thursday, and he knew exactly what he was going to be doing all of Good Friday. Thanks be to God, that's not the end of the story for us, is it? Because Easter is coming, and that tomb is going to be empty. And these next two days at Shepherd's Gate, we are going to celebrate and celebrate and celebrate. But until those two days come, do not leave here with your head down, feeling defeated, or that Good Friday is some martyrdom thing that we have to do as Christians and we have to go to bed tonight and put our heads on our pillows and feel like crap. That's not the point of Good Friday, by the way. You need to hear the, the gospel of Jesus and what he has done. That cross, your name upon that cross because of his love and his grace and his mercy. You are a child. You can leave here tonight with your head held high and your heart full of his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. Amen? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here tonight, and we thank you for all those who are joining us online. And God, we know and we believe and trust that your spirit is still at work in this world and your spirit is still at work in our hearts and our lives. And I pray tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if there is anyone here tonight or watching online and they don't know if they have a relationship with you or maybe they're struggling and they feel like they've, they've fallen away from you, or maybe their sin has become so overwhelming they feel that you have turned from them. In this moment, in this time, let me just encourage you. In your heart, whisper to Jesus. Confess your sins to him. Leave your burdens at the cross. And even if the only words that you can utter are help, then utter help. And watch as God opens up the heavens and rains down his grace and his mercy upon you and reminds you once again of what he has done for you. God, we love you. We're in awe of you. We're amazed what you did for us on that cross physically mentally emotionally but most importantly spiritually God thank you for the sacrifice that you made for each and every one of us we love you and we thank you and we pray all these things in your most holy and precious name and all God's people said
Amen.